0: Good morning. Last Sunday was uh, very beautiful. I so enjoyed listening to the students uh, from junior high to satellite talk about how the Lord uh, worked in their lives the week before, and uh, it was very uplifting this morning before we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, episode 31, if you've been counting. But before we do that, just a couple of announcements. I hate to call them announcements. I guess I should call them uh, prayer requests, which would probably be more accurate, actually. Tomorrow, the City Planning Commission has presented to the... Um, to our city council, the parcel plan that we have proposed to sell that parcel. And both uh, sides of that sale are agreed, but it has to be approved in a public forum. And that public forum takes place tomorrow night at 7 p.m., The City Planning Commission has let us know that there's only been one inquiry in the time leading up to this. Uh, What kind of housing is going in there? So that's not bad. (laughs) But if you'd be praying, and of course you're free to attend and be a part of that public forum, but uh, if it passes tomorrow night, then we'll, this is kind of our Rubicon, I suppose you might call it, so uh, be praying for that. That's really good news, right? We've gotten to this point, and it's a big step. A second thing that is good news, on April 30th, a week from tomorrow, our worship arts candidate will be coming to Visalia. He will be with us all week and there will be a number of venues and opportunities for people to get acquainted with him his name is timothy ports he will be here on may 6th sunday may 6th he'll also be here the national day of prayer we have a time of prayer in here from 11:30 to 1 and lord willing and all of this he'll be with us uh, for that as well to participate but he'll be a part of our church that whole week and on sunday morning he'll lead us in worship both services and on that evening we will have a meeting of the church to uh, ratify his call so put that on your calendar that's at 6 p.m. on May 6th in the evening and then one last thing and this isn't a prayer request this is a would you do this please request You'll notice on your uh, message notes, there's uh, an opportunity—I think think they're on there. If you have questions about spiritual warfare, this is the last message. uh, On Ephesians, it's the last message of the three messages on spiritual warfare. Actually, there were four with an introduction. And today's message is focused on prayer in chapter 6, verses uh, 18, 19, 20. Uh, But if you have questions— I need you to send them. Uh, I think it's described there what you need to do, and if you'll do that next week, I'm going to be here. Uh, The plan is Shelly and I will be here, and Corey will be here. Shelly and I know a lot about spiritual warfare. So uh, ask your questions. We're ready. We've got lots of experience, and uh, you you learn a lot from your mistakes as well as... uh, Uh, Your wisdom, so your learned wisdom. Now, if you will, if you haven't already, turn to Ephesians chapter 6. I'd like to read verses 10 through 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God to speak. Can we bring up that slide, please? Well, we've returned to spiritual warfare, and this last week I learned that, and this isn't something that I was uh, uh, researching, I just ran across it, But I learned this week that in the event of a fire, a fire in your home, the last thing you want to do is run around in a burning house. Now, if you watch television, you might get that idea. Because on television, people run around in burning buildings, sometimes for quite a while, saving people, doing extraordinary things. But I'm told the temperature at head level may reach 600 degrees. So just imagine what one blast of that kind of heat can do to your lungs. The only way to survive is on your hands and knees. At the lower level, temperatures can be as low comparatively, as 150 degrees. And on your hands and knees, you can crawl and make your way to an exit. Your only way of escape is on your hands and knees. We need to stay on our hands and knees to survive. That's true for us in Christ, We need to stay on our knees under all conditions, not just in emergencies. It's prayer, which is practicing the presence of God. After we sang that song, I just thought we should just sit still for a number of minutes and just let it soak in. We live in such hectic, busy lives. I know that no less than you. But it's prayer that practices the presence of God and our need for Him. And that is in effect what we call prayer. Yes, we actually formulate words, we formulate ideas, but it's more. There's a whole turning to God, craving for God, crying out to God, just plain helplessly needing God, utterly, foolishly, at our worst turning to God getting on our hands and knees CS Lewis wrote I pray because I can't help myself because I'm helpless because the need flows out of me all the time when we feel strong when we don't feel helpless When we feel at the top of our game, everything's going my way, we aren't minding the presence of God. Often we're reveling in ourselves. It's in our weakness, recognizing our weakness, recognizing our need, and recognizing spiritual warfare I think my number one concern, and i didn 't put it in the message, but it, you know I just realize it 's on my heart is that we don 't take spiritual warfare as seriously as we ought i don 't want to paint with a big, broad brush, but the fact of the matter is, is that we think spiritual warfare has to do with with young girls who are possessed and their heads spin around and around spewing green gobbledygook. Spiritual warfare is very much more real than that, and that's what we want to pay attention to this morning as we think about prayer, as we think about the little things that sometimes inhibit and destroy what God is trying to do. Small interruptions sometimes. Babies crying when God is trying to speak to your heart and drive home. Conviction because he wants your attention. We did, sometimes we just dismiss those things, but that is the reality of spiritual warfare. given what Paul teaches here about spiritual warfare our house is often on fire and we don't realize the jeopardy become strong in the strength of the Lord and we're gonna look at standing alert which is the third part sorry we couldn't take this in successive Sundays But it's good to to ponder these things and perhaps uh, draw it out just a little bit. How real is spiritual warfare? I talked about little things being a part of spiritual warfare. Little interruptions. Things that are going on when God is trying to speak to our hearts. Those are... Just the most modest things that we overlook. But lest you miss the point, I want to draw your attention to verse 12. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. Paul is saying that's what we think is going on. He's trying to correct a misapprehension. So, I think it behooves us, it would benefit us, in other words, that if we think about what we attribute to flesh and blood. Did any of you experience some human drama this last week? I did. Any of you driving and become... Irritated, unnerved by someone else's driving conduct. How about something at home between you and your kids or husband and wife, neighbors, co-workers, other church members, people that are friends, people that you care about. These are all flesh and blood realities. How many of you in those dramas and difficulties gave one thought that this was a battle of spiritual proportions and required spiritual warfare, not just your own human abilities and ideas? about what was right and wrong, what was really going on, what was really of importance. Or how many of us in those very human dramas of everyday experience, things we've been involved with since childhood, how many of us have a bigger perspective of what the stakes are, what the ramifications are, how God could use you in the midst of that situation, rather than just reacting, but to act, and act in the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's a battleground. Because God's work in people's lives, your life, the other person's life, in this city, in this world, is at risk the reality of Jesus Christ in your life is on the line? I'm really serious about this. Do I fail? Do I uh, boy, I'm preaching out of my need here. Last night, Shelley and I got in a tiff. You know what a tiff is? It's not a digital picture. We didn't talk the rest of the night. No ugly words were said. I left with just a goodbye. And this morning at 8.15, I called her. I said, I can't preach. I can't get up and talk about this. Not without talking about us. All week, I've been working on this message. And it just seemed like I, I kept get, getting thwarted last night. I was praying. I was working on this stuff. This is real stuff. It has real ramifications. I could have gotten up here and just, you know, mechanically worked through my notes. But this is a reality of the Christian life that I know you go through because I go through it. I'm not an entertainer. I'm a pastor. I'm a person that's trying to lead us in this spiritual thing. So that means we have to touch base with the things that are real in our lives. I've never presented myself as being perfect. There's no perfection. Your righteousness comes out of trying and trying and trying again, repenting and getting up and trying again in the power of the Spirit this time. In God's strength that's how it works that's really how it works and the more you do that the more real it becomes and you learn about prayer and you learn about this Christian life and you learn about your faith you learn about your weaknesses and you become stronger I know I'm a better Christian than I was a year ago, five years ago, definitely 20 years ago. But that's not what I'm measuring. It's where I've got to go, not where I've been. Every day I'm thinking about where i got to go. And when you are thinking about where you've got to go in Christ and what kind of hurdles you have to leap in your relationships, I'll bet there's a bunch of us sitting here right now that have interpersonal relational issues that we need to resolve. But stubbornly, we've got our arms crossed inside, and we aren't going to take those steps toward the center, toward reconciliation, until the other person moves first. And we're not willing to confront and admit our wrongs. Because it hurts. It hurts to admit it. We don't want to confess it. We love that about the Lord. We can do it in secret. But some of us can't even do it with another person, whether it be spouse, coworker, neighbor, child, parent, friend, So I've joked about those times, you know, because I can't be a fraud up here. Now, maybe someone can, but I can't. I can't get up and talk to you about these things. And that's the way it is for me every week, because every week, whatever I'm going to be speaking about, that's my point of attack. And sometimes I think, just as last night, I was on the way home, worked on the message, Did a wedding on the way home. Almost there. In the clear, you know. I can see the finish line. Going to put my feet up. Take it easy and boom. But if you're, I know you are, you wouldn't be here if you weren't, but if we're serious about this Christian life, then these are the steps of faith in which we will grow. And if we don't take them, we won't grow. And if we don't grow, we'll start to stagnate. You know what happens to stagnated ponds? Eventually, they turn to to mud and weeds grow up. And that's what happens in our lives when we keep cutting off the things that God's trying to do in our lives. When we're not relying on his grace when we're not owning up to our true weakness so that we can put on the new humanity in Christ, which is where the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the self-control, and all of those beautiful things that we adore. We want to hear songs about it. We want to read poetry. We want to see it modeled and exemplified in life. but God wants to see it in your life and in mine. Because that's the front line of the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about here. And that's where the battle takes place. So quit waiting for goblins. Yeah, there are demons. There are spiritual realities. The world is not going to acknowledge that. But if you are honest with yourself, you know about this whole sin thing. And it's not a trivial matter. It costs human life. It does. Sometimes it explodes in gunfire, stabbings, setting fires. Sometimes it's handled in ways that just assassinate with language people talking at each other, not listening to each other. Sometimes it's covered up in political savvy or backroom deals. It's hidden behind corporate logos and brands it's ruthless cheating and dishonesty and we get so used to it because we want it to be tolerated in our lives too so when we look at this armor what are we talking about we're talking about living truthfully, the belt of truth. I don't care how you define that. You define it any way you want. Just start trying to live your life truthfully, and God will do the rest. Let's not quibble about words. Let's just try and do it. He'll school you. God is with you. He'll school you in what that truth needs to be. You just put on that belt. Do the right thing. The breastplate of righteousness... That's doing the right thing. James called it good works. He said your faith means nothing without good works. You can sing your faith, you can talk about it, you can write poetry, you can get rich on it, but if you're not doing something with your faith, and it isn't expressing itself in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness self-control. It's fake. Faith expresses itself in love, right? Love is the expression of the Christian faith. It's what got our attention. It's what touched our lives. You cannot love without doing something that is called a good work or the right thing. Because when you love, you're going to say constructive, encouraging, courteous things. Even if you have to say something tough and truthful, you're going to say it in a way that isn't aimed at destroying or discouraging. Because hope is always a part of love. Love does not sin. Love does no wrong to its neighbor, wrote the Apostle Paul. Jesus centered his ministry on love, love of God and love of one another. So let's not worry about what the breastplate of righteousness is. It's about doing right doing good and we we know what that is and if we don't we can learn ask someone to disciple you in christ seek counsel if you don't know what the right thing is seek some counsel with a christian an older more mature christian brother or sister don't pay someone we'll give it for free And if one isn't enough, we have multiple counselors. Proverbs says, there's wisdom in much counsel. What about the boots of righteousness? That's just... I'm going to listen to you, God. I'm going to let you tell me what I need to do here. I'm going to let you lead me. Because I know that your good news to me is peace. And it's out of that peace that I get my mission. That's what the world needs now, is peace, the only peace that God can create. And that comes through the gospel at the center of which is the cross of Jesus Christ. The demonstration of his love to destroy the rule and the power of the evil one through sin and the law in your life. Because it's all of grace. The shield of faith. I'm going to trust God in this, and I'm going to be faithful. You know, I got everything worked out with Shelley. We both expressed heartfelt apologies. I never planned to say this. I felt compelled by the Spirit this morning when I gave you that long pause. That was me trying to decide whether I was a complete idiot or not. But this stuff is real. We only make it more real. It only becomes our reality seven days a week, not just for a part of Sunday. When we let God tell us where to go, live truthfully, Do good works, do righteous things, and put our faith in him. Because when we're under attack and we start to retreat, our faith is failing. When the enemy advances and it gets too hot, we don't get on our knees and crawl, we retreat. Have salvation on your mind, the helmet of salvation. Really, I mean, what what does it mean? Put on the helmet of salvation. Crown yourself with this whole idea that God is your deliverer, that he loves you, that he's there to walk you through whatever trial or difficulty he has because he's demonstrated this salvation in Jesus Christ. He's given you provision in the Holy Spirit. He's given you a family, a beautiful family, an eternal family in a big, big house with your own room, your own bedroom, no bunk bed with a brother or sister, your own room. You know, I'm just trying to help you understand. God really loves you, you know. That's the helmet of salvation. You're crowned with salvation. You're crowned with the love of God. And yet sometimes we just – Tanya Hardy comes along, sends her goons, and hits you in the shin, and it's all over. Olympian, go home. And the sword of the Word of God. The gladius, which was about uh, 20 inches long, and the Roman Empire became the empire it did with the gladius. That's the only offensive weapon here except one, and it's not really a weapon, and it's what we turn our attention to, and that is prayer. See, in some translations, for example, if you have an NIV this morning, they start a new paragraph there and it is difficult sometimes to translate Greek. You have to stop, you know, you can have a run-on sentence, and it makes perfect sense to those of us who are somewhat fluent in Greek, but to an English speaker it's very hard, so the English translations, they start a new sentence, which is legitimate, but sometimes they start a new idea, and in this case, Paul is not starting a new idea. He is continuing, and it's very evident in the Greek language. Verse 18, 19, and 20 are dependent on verse 17. Particularly verse 18 is dependent on verse 17. And so a number of translations, the ESV, for example, just continues right on. Because even though he's finished the pieces of armor... We get our marching orders. Listen. We don't just get suited up. God has something for us to do then. And we get our marching orders. We hear the voice of our commander in chief in prayer. And in verse 18, Paul gives us four alls in the Greek language. For alls. All prayer and petition at all times with all perseverance and all the saints in view. You can dig them out yourself. I put them very clearly by using the exact word all. Sometimes the translation might use every or something, some synonym. But the point is is that prayer is not just for special occasions. It's, It's... Dress clothes and work clothes. And then Paul gives us three phrases in verse 18 that are very important. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Pray in the Spirit at all times. Be alert. Be alert. And in all perseverance. I'm going to take what little time I have left because I've been ad-libbing quite a bit this morning to emphasize praying in the Spirit alertly, with perseverance, but pray in the Spirit. Let's uh, ask ourselves, what does that mean? It seems pretty, pretty important. Does it mean like pray inside? (laughs) You know, the way people use in the spirit or spiritually. They talk about something that's kind of a mystery or mystical or kind of fuzzy. This is in the spirit of God. And let's take a moment and look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. Because I want us to appreciate I never want us to feel unqualified in all of our helplessness when we're kind of beaten down, when we've been losing the battle of spiritual warfare. Sometimes we don't feel like turning to the Lord in prayer at a time like that, but that's exactly when we need to turn to the Lord in prayer. And we can, with our mind. Listen, we in our minds. I told you, championship golf is played on a five-inch course between our ears. Right? That goes for any sport, by the way. It's not, not exclusive to golf. In other words, champions are trained up here, not just in their motor skills and experience in a given sport or activity. And we have to be trained here. And everything that I said about the, about the armor, everything that I said about the armor has to do with what's going on up here. But when you pray, it's not just what's going on up here. It's what's going on in here it moves to the heart it moves if you like it moves to the soul it moves to that place that touches you most deeply that forms your character and your behavior that moves to define you as a as an honest person, a caring person, what character is all about. Prayer is the place, it's the temple that the Holy Spirit goes to, so to speak, or is found if I can use kind of human imagery of a person, say, coming in here and getting on his or her knees at the steps here, if you could imagine the Holy Spirit in that place interceding for you, that's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 8, 26 and 27. Let me read it to you. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Please note that. It's our weakness. For we do not know what to pray. Now that's a humbling thought, because when I hear some people pray, you'd think they went to school and got a degree in it. But there's another level that we have to appreciate, and there the Spirit helps us. Someday, we'll all be together, transformed, completed. We have that spirit in us, but that very spirit is going to resurrect us and transform us into the very character and kind of Christ. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, read it. Our humble form will be transformed into his glorious form, we're told. And that spirit that's within us now, that is called the gift of God, the promise of the the Father, that spirit which is in you was poured out at Pentecost. That spirit is always with us. And when you pray, even in an unaware way, the Spirit is praying. The Spirit is interceding. The Spirit is helping you. The Spirit is on our side. And He is interceding, He is supplicating. For the will of God to be done in our lives. For the will of God to be realized in our lives. Even if our prayers or our folly, our foolishness, causes that our words to be at cross purposes. That is a beautiful thing. Pray in the Spirit. I think when it comes to spiritual warfare, we need to get our heads into the place where we realize that when we start praying God is with us and the holy spirit is actually at work in our lives to express in a intercessory way what we from our heart need to be saying unto the lord even as we pray does that make sense that's an that's a wonderfully encouraging thing i know and why not because just Right here in this passage it says, we know that God works all things to the good for us. In other words, he's seeking to realize what is best for us in each and every situation. And sometimes in the midst of those situations, we can't even comprehend that what we see as bad could be part of something bigger, which is very good and we're just in the first chapter and we're not at the conclusion so when Paul says become strong in the Lord's strength I hope that we can learn to stand strong And realize that even when we think it's just about flesh and blood, no need to bother the Lord. We need to realize that it is those very human, kind of everyday things. There are people, uh, let me rephrase that. There are principalities, powers, there are forces that have a bigger stake in that than you realize. And if you could see, if you could understand, if you could comprehend the ramifications of what's at stake, you would turn to the Lord, put on his armor, and begin to pray and move out as he directs you in his power and strength to accomplish his purposes and not ours. Please you stand with me? You can. I'm going to pray for us. I'll be up here with other leaders and their spouses if you'd like to pray after I pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. You are present. Your power. Your righteousness. Your truth. Your gospel of peace. All the things that we look for in your armor and implement at your will through prayer, these things are present in you. Father, thank you for making yourself so available to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the gift of the Holy Spirit. May we be mindful of these powerful, powerful truths This week, for Christ's sake, it's in his matchless name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen.